everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of the Bible Breakdown. I am truly ecstatic for this lesson that we're doing on Abram. There's a few different reasons for that that I'll get into, but uh, this is a very important one. We're Genesis chapter 12 and kind of a smattering from chapters 13 through 17 as well. But before um, we jump into that, uh, some of you who are big Spotify users may have uh, gotten your Spotify wrapped this week, as I also did. Um, and so you saw which songs you listen to the most, which artists, uh, maybe some other information. I actually got it from the podcaster end. So I got unique information about the Bible Breakdown podcast, which was fun. Uh, two, two notable statistics. One of them is that seven of you listen to the Bible Breakdown more than any other podcast. So that's the lucky number seven right there. The blessed seven you shall be referred to. I think you know who you are. And the second one is that it listed the countries that most listen to my podcast. And in order, they are first, the United States, as you would probably suspect. Second, Canada, as you might also if you were to guess a second country, that might be the one. And third, this is the true surprise, Hungary. Hungary coming in at number three for listens to the Bible breakdown. Now, I don't actually, I don't believe, have true listeners in Hungary. If I do, I apologize. And hey, how's it going? But, uh, you know, people, when they're looking for certain podcasts, sometimes you find the wrong one and you start an episode. and You're like, wait, this isn't the right thing. So that happens a lot on the Bible breakdown, I will confess. And I assume that just means that per capita, Hungary has the most uh, likely people to search the wrong podcast. That's how I'm interpreting that data. Not that I'm actually popular in Hungary. I don't know how that would have happened. But anyway, that's what I got from my Spotify wrapped. Um, if you don't know what I'm talking about, that's OK. You can just ignore all that. However, now to important things, because they're scripture and not just me rambling about Hungary, we have moved out of the first 11 chapters of Genesis, which uh, I mentioned last week, we refer to them as the primeval accounts, primeval, meaning the uh, things that are about the origins of the world. So Genesis 1 through 11, a very unique part of scripture and tells us some very unique stories. We have exited that and we have moved into the story of Abram, which is really the start of the story of biblical history. So everything before then is kind of general. Um, we have some specific stories, but like the specific stories have ended kind of in destruction. So there hasn't been a lot of continuation of those stories. So we ended with the Tower of Babel last week, and then we got the uh, list of Shem's descendants. So Shem's descendants from uh, Shem was Noah's son. Um, the one who the descendants were the good ones, not like Ham and Japheth, which weren't as good. And we ended that with a person named Abram and some of his relatives. So that is what we're talking about too. Okay, hot take. Abram is probably the most important non-God figure in all of scripture. The most important non-God figure in all of scripture. Okay, so you got Moses, you got David. They're pretty good contenders. You could probably throw Paul in there. Um, though anytime a writer is referring to other people, like Paul refers to Abram and Moses specifically, maybe some David, I'm trying to rack my brain for a specific, but then it kind of shows you who's a little, maybe a little bit more important. But I, another hot take, you cannot understand 
the rest of scripture if you do not understand the story of Abram, who will later be changed to Abraham. You cannot understand the rest of scripture unless you understand God's covenant with Abram here in chapter 12 and ongoing. That is the background for really all of the story of Israel. And not only that, but the background for the new covenant, which we are a part of as New Testament believers, that is inaugurated in Jesus. Okay, so understanding the call of Abram, the the covenant with Abraham is it's basically the the lens through which you view the rest of scripture is that important. Okay, so I'm going to take some time to talk about that. We'll spend some time talking about Isaac um, in either next week or the week after, and we'll kind of refer to this again, but want to make sure we lay the groundwork for what is the call of Abram, what is the Abrahamic covenant, as it will come to be known later on. He's going to get his name changed. I'm probably going to call him Abram for most of this lesson because he didn't get his name changed till uh, I think it's chapter 17. So just so you know, same guy, Abraham, Abram becomes Abraham later. So um, we are going to cover that and make sure we know what's in the Abrahamic covenant, how it applies to us today. But first, I want to start out just with the call of Abram. So this is also a special story for me personally, because this is actually the story um, that the Lord used to stir my heart to believe in Jesus for the very first time. So it was when I was 11. We talked about the call of Abram in uh, Sunday school. Most of you probably are old enough to know what Sunday school is. And uh, I, I don't really know much about it other than like about why it stuck out to me. I just remember specifically like the spirit leading me to say, I want to follow the Lord to where he's taking me just like Abram did. So I accepted Jesus that day. So um, also a fun thing, just remember God's faithfulness to me, even as we're going to talk about his faithfulness to Abram, to uh, all of Abram's descendants and to us as New Testament believers, just remembering God's faithfulness to me personally, even uh, is this story is a good reminder. Um, as I remember when he, uh, called me um, to be one of his children and have the delight of being able to be one of his children now still and the safety and the security that comes with the call of God and the sacrifice of Jesus. Just uh, an opportunity to bring glory to God and to be reminded of how, how good he is to us. So all of that makes me very excited to talk about Abram. So let's start with the call. It's in Genesis 12 verses 1 through 3. It says, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So this is the call of Abram. This is the beginning of the Abrahamic covenant. This is a portion of it. And uh, so we don't really know much about Abram other than that he um, was son of Terah, who was a descendant of Shem. He had a couple brothers. Um, and we see there at the end of 11, they moved around. This actually, this call most likely preceded the end of 11, where it says they went to uh, Haran, which is also confusing because his brother's name is Haran. So they go to Haran, but his brother's name was Haran, but his brother Haran died. It's, it's a little bit confusing there. Um, but Haran was Lot's dad. So we'll talk about Lot eventually too. But all that to say, this call probably precedes that move to Haran um, in all likelihood. So, and that's, we get that from verse four, where it says he was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Um, and so 
all of that tells us that Abram was this guy, somewhat known because his family lineage was known, but ultimately we don't know a lot about who he was before. Uh, It's entirely likely that Abram was worshiping idols before God called him. So he was in Ur, that was the city he was from. We see that he had gone to Haran. We see that at the end of 11. And so Ur was his was his country. So when it says, go from your country, we assume, okay, Ur was that country and that this moving to Haran was after this call. And then verse four, he says he departed from Haran. So that's actually not terribly helpful for us um, understanding where he's from. But he was from Ur, that was his land. And it was Ur of the Chaldeans. That's actually the um, predecessors of the Babylonians. Um, so the likelihood that he worships some sort of false God is actually pretty high. Um, it's entirely possible that this line of Shem um, also had people who, again, we talked about it, uh, Cain and Abel. It says at that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. It's possible that Abram's family called on the name of the Lord and followed Noah and um, Shem and his family. But it's also entirely possible, perhaps even likely, that um, he worshipped idols. So I think the thing we have to grasp here from that is that Abram didn't do anything to deserve this call. We're not giving any reason that Abram was worthy of this call. With Noah, with some other characters, we get this, oh, Noah was a righteous man. Abel was righteous. Um, With Abram, we actually don't get really any sort of reasoning like that. God just calls him. And so we see this really as an act of grace. This is an act of God's grace. And also, again, verse four, maybe not helpful for us understanding the timeline, but it's helpful for this. That's why I had it in my notes. Now I'm remembering. It says, so Abram went as the Lord told him and Lot went with him. So we also see that in this act of grace where God calls to Abram, that we see Abram obeys. He responds in faith and obedience. Um, he very likely doesn't know where he's going. He doesn't know why this is happening to him, but we see he responds in faith and obedience. So that's kind of what's around the call of Abram. So I want to get into now what are the specific parts of the covenant that is going to be made with Abram. So ultimately you can boil it down to this. If somebody says, hey, what's the Abrahamic covenant? What is God's covenant with Abram slash Abraham? What does that entail? These are the three words you need to know. Land, seed, blessing. Okay, land, seed, and blessing. Okay, so in order, I'll give you the parts of the uh, scripture that we get those three things from. So first, we see in 12, 6 through 7, it says, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah. And at that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. So that's this promise that God is going to make to Abram. I'm going to give your offspring this land. So we also see a reference to this in chapter 13 where he's going to mention it. And then also in chapter 15. And in that one, we get some specific, he gives him kind of some specific borders. Um, And so it encompasses the land of modern day Israel and probably also a little bit more, uh, or actually quite a bit more. Um, So where Israel is now, that is part of this land that um, from our understanding of the Bible and geography, that this is what God was saying was the children of Abram's. 
and also probably some more as well. And I'm not talking about like the Gaza Strip. We're talking about like a lot more land um, that was probably involved in this call. So we don't have time for a geography lesson, but is a lot of land. You can probably do some Google searching and find it. But that was the first promise. He promised that his offspring was going to be given this land. So that's why they referred to it as the promised land. Okay. It was promised to Abram. It was reiterated throughout the time that this would be their land. Uh, God does tell Abram that um, his descendants are going to be enslaved in Egypt and they're going to return to this land. He does tell him that. Um, And one of the reasons he says is because the uh, evil of the Amorites is not yet complete. We could do a whole nother podcast on that. But all that to say, he says they're going to go to Egypt for a while. They're going to be slaves. It's going to be a bummer. But then they're going to go to the land. So and we, of course, see that play out in the book of Exodus. So the second promise is the promise of seed. So seed is, uh, you could also translate it offspring, okay? Seed is a good word because uh, offspring kind of does it as well. So this word is the Hebrew word zerah, and it can be singular or plural. So it's singular in its form, but it can mean uh, one or many, like the word deer in English, okay? So an offspring, I guess, can be the same. So um, you can think seed, offspring, the way I learned it was seed. So that's just why I've now repeated it to you. But so we see that uh, first in 12.7, um, which is kind of brief. He just says to your offspring, I'll give the land. That's what I read a second ago. So it's like, okay, so there's going to be offspring. But we see a, a longer kind of promise of offspring here in chapter 15, verse 4 through 5. It says, and behold, the Lord, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. This is referring to Ishmael. Uh, your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. So God makes this promise to Abram um, here. And then he alludes to it also in chapter 12. And I think there's actually one more that he references it as well. But this idea that they will be like the dust of the ground or the stars of the sky, that will be the number of his offspring. So He's promised that he will have offspring. He's also promised that he'll have many descendants. Okay. So, um, however, we also get a little bit of interesting, um, we get a bit of interesting commentary from Paul in Galatians, which we'll get to later, that also kind of breaks down the seed in a different way. But that's the parts of that seed portion um, that we see, the offspring that Abram will have that he's been promised. We see that. And this is also the same word as the word used in the Proto-Evangelium in Genesis 3.15, that the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. Same word um, for seed there. So it, literally in Hebrew, it means seed, but it comes to mean offspring. So maybe that's why that's how I was taught it. Anyways, I'm sorry, I keep getting bogged down on that. I'm just kind of thinking as I'm talking. But uh, it is the same word. So there's also some continuity of that promise here. So we see, okay, the seed of the woman is going to crush the head of the serpent. Abram has been promised um, this seed um, that will um, inherit this land, um, that will this offspring that will be numerous. So there's this continuity here, and that's very important for us to remember. So it's also important to remember that uh, Abram and Sarai, his wife, were well past their childbearing years, okay? By the time... Uh, of that he was leaving he was 75 later we're going to see they have about a 10-year difference between them in age so that means just by the time they left Haran after Abram's father died Sarai was already 65 
And uh, this isn't like the time of Noah where people are living to 900 years. Like 65 was more like we're used to 65. And later on, it's even going to say basically that she had, she was no, she was menopausal. Um, we're going to see that later as well. So this is not some just like, oh, well, back then it was okay to have kids at 65. Like not, not in this particular case. Um, this is truly a miraculous thing that God promised that uh, Abram would have a son. Um, and we also see in chapter 18, um, when Sarai ha- overhears the promise for Isaac, who will be their um, their biological son, she laughs at the idea. At that time, she was 90. So not only was she already old, but then they're waiting 25 years before God tells them, hey, a year from now, you're actually you're going to have a son. So ton of waiting. She's getting older. God asks, why was Sarai laughing? She says, I wasn't laughing, which, come on, he knows. He knows. Okay, so that's kind of the idea behind the seed. It's this offspring, this word that can be singular and plural. We see some of the plural interpretation when he says your descendants will be numerous like the stars in the sky. Uh, like I referenced, I forget exactly where it is, but he says like the dust of the earth. You may have heard like sand on the seashore, kind of same idea. Innumerable. Um, and then this third one is that there will be blessings. So we see that in 12, 2 through 3. I'll repeat that. It says, and I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So a lot of use of the word blessing here or bless will be blessed. So God promised that Abram would be blessed, that those who blessed him would be blessed. Those who cursed him would be cursed. And that through him, the whole world would be blessed, okay? And then uh, later on, too, we're going to see that this covenant is ratified through the sign of circumcision. So with these covenants that God makes, we typically see a sign, the covenant he makes with Noah, the rainbow. Um, We think of baptism or communion as signs of the new covenant, especially through uh, communion. Um, And then this one is circumcision. Now, the thing that he's given the reason for circumcision is he says, I want this sign of the covenant to be in your very flesh. So um, while most of us would probably not have chosen circumcision as a sign of a covenant, um, it's this so personal. It's so um, it's so permanent that it's carved into the very flesh of the males in the Israelite community. So um, now what we as um, New Testament believers, non-Jewish believers, we don't view circumcision the same way. Um, We have, again, a new covenant in which we um, have a new sign through communion and through baptism. But um, at that time, that was the sign of the covenant. So unfortunately for those older fellows in Abram's family, they probably had a very distinct memory of what it meant to be entered into God's covenant, unlike eight-year-old babies, which is what the ones would be going forward. So that is the summation of Abram's covenant with God. God's covenant with Abram, probably to be more exact, is this land, this seed or offspring, and this blessing. Now, the blessing is a little more vague. We just know that it'll be a blessing for all the earth. So I really want to drill down on these, a little more even on these two other, on these second two aspects. The uh, land blessing is is complex and we will probably not revisit it i would say don't worry too much about the land blessing uh the too long didn't read version it's probably more specifically for 
um, descendants, physical descendants of Abraham and a promise of the millennial kingdom. Again, we could go into a whole podcast over that. We probably not. So the, we'll go with the ones that are a little more, uh, probably a little more specific to us and also a little more clear too about what exactly they mean. And the first one is the seed. So remember, it could be singular, it could be plural. We know that Abram was promised many offspring, but also Paul gives us some significance on this promise of the seed in Galatians 3, 16 through 18. Paul says, now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterwards, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Okay, so Paul is taking a little bit of license here in that he knows very well that the word for offspring could be similar or could be singular or plural. So he's just trying to kind of make a point. He's, I'm not, not sure exactly. I think, you know, he was a learned Hebrew. Uh, he was a Jew from the tribe of Benjamin. So he knows that this word is singular, but he's trying to make the point possibly to a, most likely to a mixed audience. So this is perhaps to, to help them understand that he didn't mean it just plural, but he meant it also referring to one. So he's saying that this promised offspring is Christ. And then he follows that up with a, basically telling us the law. So the law that's going to be given to Moses does not annul this covenant that God made with Abram. Okay, so he says, for if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by a promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. So basically he's saying the law, which he's telling this group of Galatians, you do not have to follow the Mosaic law in order to be part of uh, God's kingdom community. He's saying just because you don't have to follow that law doesn't mean you lose the promise in the meantime. Okay, so one way to look at the Mosaic law is that it was a way for the people of Israel to access this promise. And here's what I mean by that. In the Mosaic law, God promises he will provide blessing for obedience and cursing for disobedience, which we will ultimately see in the exile of both the Northern Kingdom of Israel and the Southern Kingdom of Judah. So the law was this way of them accessing covenant blessing. If they obeyed God, as they sought God, then the nation prospered. If they did not, it did not prosper. So this blessing that was promised was accessed through obedience to the Mosaic law. But as Christ came to fulfill that law, now we get a greater meaning of what this offspring is, this singular offspring who is Christ, and he is our access to that blessing. Okay, so that's what he's trying to explain to the Galatians. And while we aren't usually tempted to follow the Mosaic law, it's true of us as well. We are no longer bound to the law because this covenant was ratified before the law, but the law has been fulfilled. So the law has passed away to something better, which is faith in Jesus, but the covenant with Abram still remains. Our way of accessing it has changed. We are no longer um, one for one. Oh, if we obey God, then only good things happen to us and our nation prospers. And if we disobey, bad things happen to us and our nation doesn't prosper. That is uh, the old covenant. That is what the people who lived under the Mosaic law, that was their covenant with God. 
our covenant with God is that we are blessed through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, through faith in him. So this blessing that was promised to the whole world comes through Jesus. Okay. I got a little bit ahead of myself because I want to talk about the blessing next, but that's basically what Paul is trying to explain to them. And so in 26 through 29, we get a little bit more of a conclusion of this. Um, I'll start with 23. This may, that may help. It says, now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. Now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor, fe- nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Okay. So here's what he's finishing up. He says the law was a guardian. The law was here until Christ came. Christ fulfills the law. But now Christ has come. We are able to put faith in the completed work that he has uh, completed on the cross. We can put faith in him and his death, his resurrection, his ascension. And so through that, now all of us, whether Jew or Greek or slave or free or male or female, have access to this promise, this promise that was given to Abram, and we are considered Abraham's offspring in terms of the promise. So while we are not biologically children of Abraham, in terms of the blessing that would come through Abraham, all who believe in Jesus, just like those who have had faith in God throughout all time, we are now heirs according to that promise. So that's why the Abrahamic covenant is so important and why you cannot fully understand scripture if you don't understand the Abrahamic covenant. It wasn't just for Abraham. It wasn't even just for Abraham's biological descendants, but rather through the one descendant, even though he had many, there was one in particular, Jesus, his one descendant came this blessing to all the nations. So if we read scripture with that in mind, we go throughout all the Old Testament with this promise. God made this covenant with Abram. He did this. I can't forget that. When the law comes in, I can't forget that. When Jesus fulfills the law, I can't forget that. Until all these promises are totally fulfilled and we are with God in eternity in the new creation, the new earth, we are still holding on to this covenant promise because it wasn't given or because it was given before the law, but it hasn't been fully fulfilled like the law has been. And like Paul says, it doesn't make that promise void. We still have that covenant. We still have that promise that we will be blessed, that we will be a part of this great nation, which is ultimately God's kingdom through the seed of Abraham, which we know is Christ. So that's why the Abrahamic covenant is so important. We are beneficiaries just as uh, biological Uh, Hebrews were part of that covenant. We are also blessed through that covenant because of the work of Jesus. We have been grafted in to this covenant that was previously just for the people of Israel, but because of Christ's work and the message sent to the Gentiles, which is us, we are now part of that covenant as well. We have that promise of blessing. We are those nations. We are the blessing of all nations that was received. So, It's tough to get through all of that in just a short amount of time, but do want to hit some application before we finish up. I hope that was clear, uh, clear enough to help you understand the significance of the 
covenant with Abraham. So first thing of application is just a reminder of God's grace. This covenant is a reminder of God's grace. Abraham didn't deserve, he didn't earn this right to enter into a covenant with God. God graciously sought him out and willingly entered into a covenant with him. And we also are the same. We, by God's grace, are invited into the family of God. There's nothing we have done to earn it. There's nothing we can do to earn it. There's nothing we can do to keep it. It's because of the person and work of Jesus. We are blessed by God's grace to us in Jesus. And if we have faith that what Jesus did was sufficient, we are part of God's family. We are the nations that are blessed because of God's grace. The second thing is God's story of redemption. Again, it isn't new. We talked about it in Genesis 3. We've talked about it throughout. The story of redemption isn't a New Testament believer thing. We see it inaugurated in a new way, but it isn't new. The Abrahamic covenant is a part of God's larger narrative of redemption that started way back right after the very first sin. This idea that God would provide for his people that the seed of the woman, the same one that is the offspring of Abraham, would crush the serpent, that we'd ultimately be able to be redeemed through what Jesus has done. God's story of redemption didn't start in Genesis 12. It started before the dawn of time. We see it explicitly in scripture, even from the very beginning. This is one example. And then third, and this can't be overlooked, God's faithfulness. He kept his promises to Abram. We're going to talk about it. He bears the son Isaac like he was promised. We know that the nations are blessed through Abram like he promised. He keeps his promises to us as well. He is faithful to us as well, even when we are faithless. So I hope this uh, short uh, exposition of Abraham's covenant with God was helpful. And I hope it just leads us all to a sense of worship just for how good, how gracious, how redemptive, how faithful our God is. Mm-hmm.